Brian for the O'Brien. This is Brent Bassbinder, joined as always with Quentin Cools. And although it's the off season, Quinn, news keeps coming along, and sometimes we get news that can be exciting for some people, maybe scary for the others. And it's Damian Lillard who is back in the news this week. This time, the NBA has sent a memo out to all 30 teams, telling them that after extensive interviews, Damian will in fact be willing to play for any team. Quinn, as a lifelong Trailblazers fan, how does that make you feel as far as your hometown hero's chances of being traded? Okay, well, it's a, it's, it's a great piece of news for my Blazers because this gives us a little bit more leverage. I think there was the potential that Lillard would follow in the footsteps of, you know, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and kind of do the whole, well, if, if you know, if you don't want me or, you know, if, if this other team wants me and you're willing to trade for me and will, am I willing to play? Am I willing to be in shape? Am I willing to, you know, there, there's just so much leverage that's on the side of the players and that pendulum has swung tremendously over the last, you know, maybe decade or, you know, decade and a half. And so now that we're at a place where the league is recognizing, okay, it's okay if you want to ask out, maybe it's okay if there's kind of a fair trade on the table. But what we don't want is for you to demand that you're only going to go to one team. And if you go to any other team, you're not going to fulfill your contract. And the whole point of the memo was, hey, Damian Lillard, hey, agent, you guys have to realize that you are under contract. And according to the CBA, you have to fulfill your contract, regardless of the team that you are on or get traded to or whatever. So I'm really happy about that. I think that just kind of gives us a little bit more leverage, gives us a little bit more time. But who knows what's going to actually happen if there's going to be a trade and win. Yeah, I feel like at this point, that was kind of like damage control by the NBA for the sake of various parties, such as owners and other players. Because the point is, with his agent Goodwin already making his opinion known, all 30 teams know what Damian actually thinks. Of course, when he was interviewed by the league under a threat of discipline, he said what he was contractually obligated to say, which, of course, he would support any trade. But at this point, I think the damage is kind of done in the fact of, like, he's already made his opinion known. And so I'm not really sure this memo will actually change anything in Damian's trademark. In my opinion, it's still he's made his personal opinion known. And so even though he's had to go along with this other narrative, um, real people who know what's going on know where the real destination is. And so it'll be interesting to see when and where and what package uh, will involve sending Damian Lillard to South Beach. Do you think there was any um, correlation of Jalen Brown, his contract waiting to get done until this last week and it being for the largest contract in NBA history? with this kind of Lillard drama? Because p- part of me thinks that there was a trade scenario there. If if Lillard was willing to play for Boston, uh, some sort of trade revolving around those two pieces could have been there for both teams. Um, but now that Jalen Brown signed that contract, there's a 15% trade kicker in it. It's, I mean, it's just nearly impossible. You'd have to wait a certain period of time to trade for that contract anyways. It seems like that's a no-go, but did you see any correlation there, or do you think this is, like you said, just damage controlled by the league? Yeah, there was a lot of speculation, Quint, about whether or not the Celtics would run it back with the um, Jalen duo there um, with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And, of course, the Celtics did commit with the largest contract in NBA history. Of course, that will be surpassed in the coming years, um, but did commit on the Brown-Tatum duo again which kind of surprised me in the sense of I understand that they did make it to one finals, um, but just some of the last couple years, particularly, of course, last year, um, seeing some of the playoff disappointments, I wondered if Brad Stevens was going to look into breaking the duo up. But of course, they've put their money where their mouth is as far as their home.
homegrown talent, um, and they're going to recommit on the Brown-Tatum duo. But I thought it would have been wise, Quinn, for them to look in, seeing if maybe pairing up Jason Tatum with Damian Lillard would alter their chances. Because I think it's going to be really hard for the Celtics to really pull out a win in the championship just because of the competition they're going to be facing, not just in the Eastern Conference, um, but whatever kind of combination they would find on the other side of the finals. But they've committed again to Jalen Brown, who I don't think is actually worth that kind of money. Um, but with the CBA, with the second apron, it was this kind of situation where that money was deserved. But yeah, I think Damon Lillard playing in Boston would have been a wild ride. Um, and so it'd be interesting to see where he actually does end up because I think the Celtics could have really utilized him. Going on down, wrapping up the Summer League, which finished a bit ago, we had the Cleveland Cavaliers, who had a disappointing time in the playoffs, um, but they did have a great Summer League, with Imani Bates averaging 17.2 points, and they did bring home the Summer League crown. Not that it's worth a ton, um, but it is so important, of course, getting your players in Summer League and getting those minutes in developmentally. Um, but it wasn't Imani Bates or anyone on the Cavs that ended up winning the MVP for the overall Summer League. That was our boy who keeps getting shoutouts on the pod. That's Cam Whitmore, named Summer League MVP. And so I think really there, those two teams right there represented the Cavs and the Rockets, I would say had the brightest Summer League as far as their performance, Quinn. Anything that sticks out um, for you kind of looking back now at the close of Summer League? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's some teams like, you know, OKC or Orlando where, yeah, they've got a ton of young talent. Doesn't mean that they did great in the Summer League, but that's totally fine. And so for these couple teams, though, you do see a lot of that young talent kind of blossoming. Um, you see kind of early shades of that with Cam Whitmore. You see some like really sweet finds where like, you know, the Cavs have kept this uh, Evan Mobley's brother around. I think his name is Isaiah Mobley. <laughs> he looks just like his brother, but he's out there. He's playing big minutes. He's getting big rebounds. Like he, I mean, it was pretty cool to like see some of these teams take form over those couple weeks and then yeah very specifically i think i mean cam whitmore uh i think he got the the summer league mvp a little bit uh before the uh the final game against the Cavs, and i i think it maybe got to his head he was bricking a lot of shots in that last game but that's not to say that he, he was not deserving i think he was he was awesome uh throughout the summer league and then and then the Cavs, like i think they probably just put together a better team ball at the end yeah, excellent performance by the Rockets and the Cavs and many other teams, like you said, Quinn. The goal of Summer League isn't necessarily W's, it's more about development. And I think a lot of teams got to see their lottery picks and other players' action. And maybe other teams' fan bases, they were just excited to see their Summer League teams off the court. I'm sure if you're a Hornets fan, um, watching a bunch of players who seemingly will never grace an NBA floor play, as well as the Magic had a pretty abysmal Summer League team mostly this year. Um, for many fan bases, they're excited to... I uh, watched Team USA play and then look forward to the preseason coming up in the fall. Moving into a new segment, This Week in NBA History. Back on July 31st, 2007, Quinn, the Minnesota Timberwolves traded franchise cornerstone, the big ticket, Kevin Garnett to the Boston Celtics for a package of players that very few people will remember, including Al Jefferson, Jiro Green, first-round picks, Kind of looking back now, it's been a long time since 2007, 16 years. Who won this trade, Quinn? <laughs> 
I mean, let's let's start with the Celtics. Uh, they go on, they win a championship. Uh, Garnett goes on uh, for, I think, four or five all-star appearances on the team. He goes all defensive player of the year. I mean, it was a, a slam dunk um, in NBA trades. And the kinds of players and picks that the Minnesota Timberwolves got back is hilarious. Like, Al Jefferson was good for a little while. He was kind of a 20 and 10 guy. But the rest of those names, like I, I could give you, oh, you know, Ryan Gomes, oh, he's a three-point shooter. Oh, you know, Gerald Green, he won that, you know, uh, slam dunk contest. He's so cool. Like none of these guys mattered, right? Like in, in terms of NBA history, when we're talking about the O'Brien uh, trophy, like we're we're talking about stuff that really matters here. Like Garnett was this king and you got him for such a small ransom it's pretty amazing pretty amazing for the celtics i know it's interesting looking back at that trade now 16 years later and realizing how that would never go down these days and you see that even with conversations um with people like dame and other star players who went out um with people saying hey if we're going to give up this guy we want to bring at least somebody in who's also going to have that kind of it factor kind of that clutch factor kind of that hey we can still be contenders factor and you see back in the day just a different market um because these days if you're not going to get somebody with an it factor you're going to want a boatload of first round picks and we've seen that with the rudy gobert trade um as far as bringing in a boatload of first round picks but yeah here the timberwolves traded away a guy who did get them one western conference finals appearance he did get also the 2004 mvp and so he had shown such great leadership i mean the big thing with kevin garnett was just his almost like feral zeal Quinn on the court like mm. it was scary I remember watching him play all the time as a kid in person when he would come to Orlando and sometimes watching highlights on TV and there was just something about like kind of a more a Draymond Green ass just like aggressive competitiveness and it brought every single person around Kevin Garnett up as far as their level of zeal excellence passion and their desire to win and so of course Kevin Garnett brought that to Boston and was able to literally immediately the first season he was there bring them a title. Now of course they did fall short in their his second season there getting knocked out by My Orlando Magic in the semifinals in game 6 and then they got knocked out in game 7 of the finals by the Lakers the next season but you know Quinn it is so hard to win the Larry O'Brien trophy to win the NBA championship. And so with Kevin Garnett coming in, completing that big three with Paul Pierce and Ray Allen, I remember just being really happy for him, just like I'd be happy if Dame wins a trophy with whatever team he's about to go to uh, for this coming season, just because Kevin Garnett stuck with the Timberwolves through thick and thin, and they did not deserve him as far as their inability for the front office to surround him with anything meaningful. Um, I guess they had that error with Sam Cassell there. But shout out to the Boston Celtics for being able to basically send away a bunch of role players, a couple first round picks that didn't turn into anything good, and in return get the ultimate prize with Kevin Garnett contributing greatly to an NBA championship. Brent, I love looking back at, at NBA history, see stuff like this. Like you said, I don't think trades like this would go down today. But when you think about the kind of guy that you would want to build a championship around, you talked about that kind of energy that Kevin Garnett brings. I think that's exactly the kind of uh, player that is so rare in the NBA today. Not, not, not just the skill set, but the attitude. And we've talked about it on the pod the last couple episodes, but like the, the kind of guys that can embody that kind of grit and grind and combine that with kind of a star aptitude and skill set, like that's just a beautiful combination. So um, I, I'm just staking my flag right now. Like, you know, in the draft each year, like 
is, is Paulo that kind of guy, you know, after year one, I don't know, but like, those are, those are the kind of guys I want to see grow up in this league because maybe this league's a little soft. Yeah, Quinn, we could do a whole segment right here on the problem with culture and just softness in the league. I think you see that with even a player as good as Kevin Durant, who spends a large portion of his free time, and he will openly admit it, having multiple burner accounts on threads, Twitter, <laughs> Instagram, yeah. and he spends his free time when he's not training and he's not playing, defending his own legacy against random fans on Twitter. And I think you also see some issues with Ben Simmons and now even Zion Williamson's reluctancy on the court. I do think you see a trend in NBA culture, Quinn, with players getting soft. And so there's something about a Pat Bev. There's something about a Draymond Green. There's something about a Kevin Garnett. There's something about a Dylan Brooks, Quinn, that kind of just competitiveness, that kind of willingness to play, that, that grind to get into other players' head, like particularly Kevin Garnett was so... Um, able to do. I think that is still such a valuable skill that only is going to increase as the league gets softer and this kind of aggressive competitiveness starts sticking out more and more like a valuable sore thumb. Moving on down into some signings, trades, other things that have been happening. The Bulls re-signed Io Desmunio to a three-year $21 million deal. I'm adding him to their point guard collection here as they still have Alex Crusoe and then they just added um, Javon Carter from the Bucks. I think the problem you see there with the Bulls is an inability to have a super capable point guard. They do have a super capable point guard, Quinn, but he's just been announced to be out already for the entirety of next season and postseason. Of course, that's Lonzo Ball. And so it's got to be frustrating if you're the Bulls, particularly if you're an aging DeMar DeRozan, as far as you've kind of committed again going into the season to the Levine, DeRozan, Vooch trio. But as far as who's going to be captaining this ship at point guard, they're unable to get anyone who isn't basically, I would say, a glorified role player. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think that, you know, this this team, you know, with with Lonzo looks very different. You know, I joked on the podcast just a couple episodes ago about, wait, he's he's on this team. And, and the reason is because he's been injured so long. But also, I mean, the Bulls are starting to get trade, um, not trade exceptions, uh, injury exceptions. Um, to bring on additional uh, contract money uh, because of how significant one of their star players and their their big contract guys are out. And so I, I think there's, you know, little hope, very little hope for the Bulls fans um, to make something happen during this DeRozan era, if you will. Um, but I mean, DeRozan's a fantastic player. We all, you know, kind of doubted him when he got the big contract with the Bulls and he came in and he was awesome from day one. So, I mean, prove us wrong, DeMar. Yeah, I'm personally a DeMar DeRozan fan, and I just so want to see him, of course, win the Larry O'Brien Trophy before he leaves. He poured his life and soul in Toronto, but for Toronto to win a championship, it had to give DeRozan up to get Kawhi. And so DeMar had to watch from home, watching his beloved team that drafted him and raised him, the Raptors, win a championship. And of course, you know, when you get traded for a big player like that, he was sent to a team like the Spurs that weren't trying to do anything, really. And so now he's on Chicago, which claims it wants to be a contender, but continually shows that it won't produce a roster capable of really moving beyond the play-in. And so, like I've said before, it would not surprise me if come this spring there's a big fire sale or some sort of um, rearranging of the Bulls roster um, as they're shaping up probably to be an easy first-round exit team again. A team that's been probably the busiest team now by now in free agency, and that's the Phoenix Suns, as they've been sending out players left and right and bringing in big names like Bradley Beal. 
is the Phoenix Suns sending campaign now to the Spurs, and they did sign fan favorite, previously discussed friend of the pod, Bull Bull. And it's just interesting at this point, Quinn, to see the depth issues for the Phoenix Suns as they've gotten rid of so many players who have played such key minutes for them in their previous run to the finals two years ago. Campaign, of course, being one of the main backup guards there for Phoenix. And so it'll be interesting to see really when they get into crunch time, if they're really able to produce a roster that can run deep as far as their playoff run goes. Yeah, I think the difficult thing to evaluate here is that the the precedent for this is uh, wanting <laughs> um, the idea that you would um, ship everybody out uh, except one guy uh, from a finals run just two years ago is a risky move. Um, we've seen these teams kind of like just do a f- complete fire sale in order to put, you know, particular guys around your new star that you got in free agency or a trade. But it's a very like recent thing, it seems to me, in the NBA. And I, I mean, just look no further than <laughs> Kevin Durant in his in his stint with the Nets. And I, I don't know that this kind of model works because I think what requ- what is required to move your way toward that Larry O'Brien Trophy is culture. And what you're doing is you're getting rid of whatever kind of culture has existed already in the organization and you're saying, Hey, let's start essentially from ground zero. Like we're, we still have this one guy and yes, Booker is the the best guy from that finals run, but, but you're saying he's going to carry the entire culture that we've had, or that we're going to build a brand new culture around him and these other guys that we're bringing in. And I think that's just a risky move. Yeah. I think people just underestimate Quinn the time that's needed to even build chemistry behind and between these stars. Because a lot of these stars are coming out of markets where they're the number one option. You think of Bradley Beal coming in from the Wizards. And he's going to have the ball way less now because he's going to be need to be sharing it with more ball-dominant players such as Kevin Durant. And so I think often it's just underestimated the time that's needed for these star players to gel with one another. I think your example was spot on, Quinn, with just seeing how dysfunctional the Nets were trying to pair Kyrie with KD. And then even they had Harden, even though those three barely played any games together. But it just takes time for people to gel together. And that's why I love it when you see teams that aren't stocked full of a big three able to make deep runs, such as the 2011 Dallas Mavericks, who had mainly just Dirk and then like an 80-year-old Jason Kidd um, on that team, is when you see players that are just able to gel together for a long time. I think my main example that pops to my mind with someone refusing to recognize this was the 2009 Orlando Magic. We made it to the finals. I was in the room for one of those games. It was incredible. And so, of course, we lost. We got a gentleman sweep 4-1 by Kobe and Pau Gasol. And our front office, after that season, decided rather than running it back with the same crew, we got rid of most of the roster. We shipped out Hito Turkoglu, our main forward, who often almost played guard for us. We brought in aging vets like Vince Carter. And we had a disappointing season the next season. And I think you see that so often with teams is their refusal to recognize there's something magical when you get a a group of guys together and they go make a deep run. There's something valuable that's seeing what the next year or two could look with that group. And so it would be interesting to see if the Phoenix Suns bet pays off with completely retooling the roster with Matt Ishby coming in as the new owner and seeing if that yields something different than a finals appearance, which they got two years ago. 
Yeah, and I think that it's uh, I think the Orlando Magic 2009 comp is a good one because um, essentially what what we're suggesting here is that that what the Suns are doing and how they're constructing their roster and what the Boston Celtics are doing this year. These are the two different options, the two different models. Boston, like we said, is giving Jalen Brown the big bucks. They're they're building around their core. They're going to keep that culture in place, and they're just going to work on the margins. And what we see the Suns doing is more of what the what the 2009 Magic did, and I and I just think that that's going to cause issues. It it reminds me of a quote I saw earlier today. It was um, a quote from Tim Duncan back when he was enshrined into the Hall of Fame, and he was talking about his parents, and he was like, you know, my parents combined for you know a zero, you know, on basketball knowledge, but they but they taught me more about the game than anyone else. And he went on to talk about how relationships are kind of what what make basketball happen. And that and that's true in business. That's true in so much of the world. And I just think we need to build into the relationships on this team if we're going to be successful, like having the same coaching staff and having the same players and so forth. And so the fact of the matter is um, a lot of this is coming you know, top down from Matt Ishbia. And so we'll see what happens. Like, like I said, it's a bet. It's a risk. But maybe it's one worth taking, you know, if if it's like the Anthony Davis trade and you get one championship out of it, everyone says, hey, that was worth it. And so maybe in the next two, three years, they get a championship with this new core. And if so, good on them. Yeah, it'd be really interesting if the Nuggets or the Celtics were the ones that ended the Phoenix Suns playoff run in this coming season. Ooh. Because the Celtics, of course, and the Nuggets, like you point out with the Celtics, are basically running their teams back with the main core saying, hey, we believe in our guys. With the Nuggets, of course, they have big reason to say that. The Celtics, of course, with lots of finals appearances, Eastern Conference and finals appearances. And so it'd be really interesting to see how the Suns fare against teams, like you said, that are taking the opposite kind of approach to their roster, saying, hey, there's something valuable about running the same locker room back. And I think even if you think about just like you start to get to know your players' instincts, their personalities, what they do in crunch time situations. And I think that's something that you can't just automatically replace with watching a bunch of film is that ability to play with guys year over year over year. And so it'd be interesting to see really who's able to take home the crown next year because the kind of the teams that are volleying for that championship represent a couple different ideologies as far as our roster. But moving on down to some free agent signings here, the Sacramento Kings brought in uh, journeyman NBA player Nerlens Noel on a one-year $3.1 million deal as they seek to pair a wonderful young core that we've praised many times before, shout out to the Beam team, with some vets like Harrison Barnes, who's on a nice contract, and Nerlens Noel now coming in here. I think if you're the Sacramento Kings coming out of Summer League, watching Keegan Murray light people up in the California Classic, and now as you see, you've got some veterans kind of now in the locker room mentoring these younger players here. I think the Kings are kind of switching track from talking and kind of critiquing the Suns. I really like the approach the Kings are taking to their roster, Quinn. Yeah, absolutely. And this is this is a guy in Nerlens Noel where um out of of college you know he he was kind of the beginning part of the process for the sixers um but when you have that much pressure on you as a young guy uh and you don't fulfill that uh you're you're not going to necessarily perform to the best of your ability now he's at a stage of his career where he knows he's a role guy he knows that he's going to come in and be kind of the defensive anchor of the second unit and I think that's exactly what you want him to do. And so I think that what the what the Kings are doing is they're finding guys that can play really well 
with one another. And there's going to be some variability and switchability with different lineups they can put out there. Cause you have Sabonis who likes to play kind of a point forward away from the basket and Nerlens Noel is more of a paint guy. So I just think it's, you know, great moves by them. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. Even just thinking about the Kings as an organization as a whole, Quinn, I remember when the trade went down with Tyrese Halberton getting traded for uh, Sabonis. I remember looking at that and just thinking of such a foolish decision, kind of just seeing Sabonis as a, a low-level all-star, seeing Tyrese as just kind of a next kind of generational player and just thinking how foolish that was. But just getting to watch a lot of content and, and highlights and games from the Kings this last season, particularly their playoff series with the Warriors, realizing just what a good pairing Sabonis and Fox is. Um, and realizing that depending on who they can pair their roster around, I could really see the Kings going for the title with this De'Aaron Fox um, Sabonis pairing. Absolutely. And short of uh, Fox having that hand injury in the playoffs, I mean, they, they really were, were taking it to the Warriors. So, you know, the Warriors made, made an awesome run this year um, with, with the team that they had and, you know, going up against Lakers and all that. But, I mean, the Kings would have been right there had Fox not been injured. So, I mean, I'm I'm all down for it. I mean, when you have Sabonis with a, a purple eye and, and Fox with a broken hand practically in the playoffs and you're still taking the Warriors to seven games, I mean, that team's awesome. Yeah, and especially just the, the hype around kind of coming back in after 16-season playoff drought. They've got a lot of momentum now after making their first appearance, and not a disappointing one. I think if they would have gotten swept or gentlemen swept at 4-1, there would have been kind of some unease going into the offseason. But I think it makes a huge difference when you're able to take a team like the Warriors to seven games. And I think from the fans, from the front office, there's a lot of optimism for the Beam team, and I've sure got a lot of optimism for them. Speaking about a team that is trying to take their two young players, their two star players, and do something magical with them. The Atlanta Hawks continue to seek to try to change something up because the last couple of years have been so disappointing as far as the playoff performance by them and, sadly, Trey Young. And so they did sign 36-year-old Wesley Matthews recently to a one-year deal, adding a veteran to their locker room. And it's just going to be so interesting for the Atlanta Hawks here. It's just one of those teams that I just really struggle, Quinn, to understand the ideology behind their roster because you have two players who are individually excellent in DeJounte Murray and Trey Young, who can, I feel like he's kind of inconsistent. Um, but you have two players who are individually excellent. But even watching them play together last season, Quinn, I'm just not sure this Hawks roster is ready to make some noise next season. Yeah, I, I mean, so I think a lot of this comes down to the coaching. And I think that they, they made a midseason acquisition of Quinn Snyder for a reason. He was going to be a highly sought-after coach in the offseason. We all know that, you know, roughly a third of the league gets rid of their coaches each year. So when you've got a really excellent coach that's proved himself with the Utah Jazz, and then you've got, you know, a third of the league that's looking for a good coach, like, you know that that's a, a high commodity guy. So they spent gobs of money to get him and br bring him in mid-year. So the fact that they didn't do anything this year, I think makes a ton of sense. But heading into next year, he's going to have, you know, the first year under his belt, kind of starting to develop kind of the, the cultural mindset that he wants these, these guys to embrace. And I think it'll come down to how much those star players embrace that uh, ideology. So if Trey Young is willing to embrace that style of offense and defense and how hard he's coached and all this stuff, if DeJounte Murray wants that and is about that, obviously he was about that cash. He got the big contract, but, but is he about that style of play? I, I think Murray probably is. He comes from 
the Greg Popovich, you know, kind of a training school, if you will. And so I I think he's going to be the dude. Um, Trey Young, I have some question marks around. Um, I mean, he's obviously going to get buckets, but is that going to produce winning? Not necessarily. Um, Obviously, they also have a bunch of great role guys that are they have the potential to to build that kind of glue into what a, a team needs for a deep run. But I don't see either the star power or kind of the culture yet that would prove to me that they're going to make a deep run. Yeah, I feel like Trey tries to wield the kind of swagger of someone who's made a lot of noise in the playoffs but actually hasn't. Recently, Trey was on the Draymond Green podcast, and him and Draymond were kind of going back and forth, kind of discussing how bogus it is that people keep elevating Luka over Trey because they basically have done the same kind of stuff, and they're basically comparable. Of course, those comparisons will continue till the day yeah, they both they're, retire. they're not comparable. No way. No they're, way. Trey, no way. Yeah, Trey exactly. You cannot like, hold a candle to that guy. How can you not look at the raw data of what Luca has done? And I think some of the stuff doesn't even show up on just the pure stats. I think if you look at the re- way that Luca has elevated the Mavs, yes, there's been disappointments in the playoffs like the Hawks. I'm, I'm willing to admit that. But I think you, if you watch Trey play, if you watch Luca play, there is something, that's why they call him Luca Magic. There is something magical about the way Luca, his basketball IQ, his passing ability, his ability just to bring everyone around him up, that is just missing from Trey Young. There's that dog mentality in Trey. There's that want to be a villain. You saw that um, in the Knicks series a couple years ago. Um, but I think there's a huge jump that Trey wants to make if he wants to be able to start claiming that the Hawks did right by shipping out Luka Doncic on draft night to the Dallas Mavericks. Going on down to the Orlando Magic, we just re-signed Admiral Schofield um, to a two-way contract after we just raved him earlier this year. And the Magic are in a great position, I think, as far as talking about teams that are really not interested in making a lot of shifts. I think we talked earlier about a lot of people saying that the Magic could have had the cap space to get involved in a Damian Lillard trade, maybe being that third team or something. I just really thought that was wise for the Magic to have a quiet offseason. Our GM keeps talking about how we just need to take things slow and steady. And I think when you've got a young core like the Magic have, you've just got to be building that culture like we've been talking about in this episode, Quinn. Build that chemistry with Paulo um, alongside recent acquisition there with Franz Wagner last year and other players. Just kind of building that young core, seeing if Anthony Black and, and Jet Howard are also going to be part of that. And there's just there's something good about just running your players together for a couple years and seeing if this core is going to turn into something. I don't think there's any reason to get worried if this season's another season where we're going back and having a high lottery pick in the draft. Yeah, and it's the appropriate way to start wrapping up the pod is, you know, we talk Blazers at the top, we're talking Magic at the bottom. You know and love uh, Orlando, I know and love Portland. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, with Orlando, uh, yeah, the, the the guys that they're keeping around, those those role guys like Gary Harris or bringing in role guys like Joe Ingles, I think what that does is it just kind of sets, you know, certain certain structure in place that says, hey, this is going to be constant. And now we have this variable of a star player or potential star player. Now prove to us that you're that guy, Anthony Black, or prove to us that you're that guy, Paulo, and we'll keep giving you, you know, these plays to run through you. And we want to see you elevate. Like, I, I don't think anyone with Ben Carroll wants, wants to see the same they saw this year. They want to see something even better. And we, we want to see him keep growing. And so these other guards can help draw that out and set him up for success. And let's see you lead this team. And like, I, 
you know, it, you can get really excited about what Orlando could do in a couple of years, but this year needs to be a year where each of those guys are motivated to take the next step in their journey. Yeah, I think Bancaro for him, uh, first all-star appearance is a appropriate goal. Um, but just really building that camaraderie with Vons Wagner and Wendell Carter Jr. at center there. Because even if you look at like the last finals team that Orlando assembled in 2009, going back to that need to build chemistry and culture, Dwight Howard, Hito Turkoglu, and Jameer Nelson, who sadly wasn't available due to an injury in that final series, but those three players that made up that core for that team that went to the finals that year, that wasn't their first, second, or even third year that they'd been playing together. They had spent years with a lot of disappointing results, but building that culture, building that locker room, building that trust, and then finally in 2009 was our breakout year. We went all the way to the finals. And so I think the same logic here is going to be implied that there's just such a need to say, hey, even if in the next three or four years we're just looking at first-round exits, I think there's just the opportunity here just with the age and the talent we have to run this for a few years and see if in a couple years here we're looking at making a run. And I just, I'm going to say it once, I'll say it a thousand times, I think Orlando's timeline is perfect because so many players, Quinn, that are holding their kind of wheel over the league are going to be aging out in three or four years. You think of um, Damian Lillard, you think of James Harden, you think of Kevin Durant, you think of Steph Curry, you think of, of course, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. This All- is so sad. What, what are you trying to make me do? I'm going to get super emotional. You're saying these players are not going to be a part of my life? I'm saying in four years, it's going to be the magic's time to shine because at, at these great players who I love and respect, as they start to reach the kind of twilight sunset period of their time in the league, Quinn, I think the magic on me bursting on the scene at a perfect time. I'd say the same thing, honestly, for the Pacers with Tyrese. I'd say the same thing for the Thunder. Of course, one of our fan favorites, Quinn, the Rockets. I just think there's some of these young cores that are just on a great timeline because in three or four years, they're going to want to start contending. And in three or four years players like Steph and LeBron and Dame they're just not going to have the ability to contend at age 37 38 like the these younger teams are going to be able to contend and so as a lifelong Magic fan I'm excited to see if the timeline lines up where the Magic are going to be held back by these generational players who are currently dominating the league no doubt no doubt I agree I think that wraps it up for today's episode thanks for joining us today for another episode of Dime for O'Brien and we'll catch you in the next one 